Thank you, that was awesome, worship. Let's give our worship team a round of applause, thank you. I am Paula Lapata, and I help lead women's ministry here at the chapel along with Mary Manuela. And I have the privilege of talking to women and of also helping write messages like this. Comparison, overcoming comparison. I wish that I could say that I'm standing up here and I was chosen for this message because I do not struggle with this or I've completely overcome it. But sadly, that is just not the case. I struggle with comparison on a daily basis. And the more I dug into this and dug into God's word and what he has to say about comparison, the more I realized how soon I started comparing myself to other girls, other people, my things to other things from a very early age. So as discouraging as that is, I felt like I should reach out to many women that I knew, young and old, to see am I alone in this struggle. So this past week I texted women Some were seasoned in their life, and some were a bit younger. And I just said, would you be honest with me? Would you tell me what it is that you struggle with when it comes to comparison? I told them I wouldn't say their names. I wouldn't quote them and point them out because many of them are in this room tonight. But I was amazed by what I got back. And I said, fill in the blank. I struggle with comparing this to someone else or this thing to someone else. And text after text that I got back was, Oh, where do I begin? Where do I begin? Where do I begin? And I felt like saying, amen, amen, amen. But I want to read to you some of the, the texts that I got back from the women. This is what I heard from them. I think you'll realize that you're not alone when you hear these things too. I struggle with comparing my body, my hair, my outfit to other people's appearance. I struggle with comparing my home, my family, or the size of my family my social life, my vacations, family photos, parties, and even workouts to other people's. I struggle with comparing myself to other moms. I feel like I'm not enough, and if my young kids act up, I fear others think I'm a bad mom, especially around other moms who tend to have very well-behaved children. I struggle with comparing my success with parenting when it comes to my adult child's choices, priorities, behaviors, especially when others speak so well of their adult children. I'm sure many of us can relate to this. I struggle with comparing my husband to other husbands. I got that a couple times. We need a men's ministry. (laughs) You want me to pull this down? Okay. Um, I struggle with comparing my marriage to other people's marriages. I struggle with comparing our finances or lack thereof compared to other people's acquired stuff or their spending in their life. I struggle with comparing my ability, my success, and how important I am compared to other women and their importance. And lastly, someone said, I struggle with comparing my church to other churches or my spirituality to other women's spirituality. I even struggle with comparing my sins to other people's sins. I can relate to pretty much every one of those. For me, comparison started at a very young age, and as I was thinking through this, I was going back into my childhood, and I'm remembering how much I loved baby dolls. I loved baby dolls so much that I would ask for baby dolls at Christmas, my birthday. I would circle in those magazines what baby dolls I wanted. And so, do you guys remember the doll My Kid Sister? Okay, I'm dating myself. Did anybody have a My Kid Sister? Long red hair. There was my buddy. 
My buddy, my buddy. Okay. My brother had my buddy. I had my kid sister. My brother thought it would be hysterical with his cousin to give my kid sister a mohawk. I was devastated, and my mom tried really hard not to laugh, but she did laugh, but that's okay. I'm traumatized a little bit from that. So my sisters had these baby dolls that didn't look like my kid sister. My kid sister had stuffed arms and legs, cloth with just stuffing in it. My sisters had the real-life baby dolls. They looked like babies. One of my sisters even had a diaper, a real little baby diaper on her baby doll. And I had such baby doll envy. That's how deep comparison runs in my heart. I would get invited to their baby doll's birthday party, and I would wrap a gift from my baby doll, and I would go knock on their bedroom door. They would grab my baby doll gift and shut the door, and I was not invited to the party anymore. I am traumatized from these things. My family's laughing because I talk about this all the time. <laughs> As I got older, I can remember being at school lunches, and my mom would pack my lunch, and she would write, I love you, on my napkin. That always made me feel good. And we, she would pack simple lunches. They were good. They were healthy. And I'd be eating my carrots, looking across the way at little Susie, who'd be devouring that big, juicy red fruit roll-up full of all the red dye that all the moms don't want anymore. And I would just be so jealous of her fruit roll-up wishing that was my lunch, and I'd be chewing my carrot, dreaming that it was the fruit roll-up. You know, as I got older and I became a mom because I loved baby dolls, that was I, I wanted to be a mom. That was my biggest dream. I wanted to have a husband too, but I really wanted to be a mom. <laughs> that was my biggest dream. And so I became a mom, and I, I was living the dream. I read this book. I knew how to sleep, get my child to sleep at six weeks before he was even born. And then he was born, and he did not sleep. <laughs> he still struggles with it. And I felt like I compared my motherhood to every other mother around me. If, if so-and-so could get their child to sleep when they were four weeks old, I was over here, and my child was like four years old. He still wakes me up sometimes, okay? He's 10. I was a failure. I felt like a failure. I couldn't potty train my kids as fast as other people. My kids wouldn't behave. I'm a pastor's wife. It took everything to get through these doors on a Sunday morning with my four children. I would be sweating, unsure if I was even dressed. I'd be going and grabbing my boys before they'd be jumping in the baptismal. And all these sweet women would be like, oh, your hands are so full. And I felt so judged. I, was, I struggled so bad with comparing myself to other moms whose children just sweetly were dressed so nice, just walking through the doors, gazing up at their moms, and mine were like maniacs. Guys, I struggle so bad on a daily basis with comparison that sometimes I even um, compare one of my hips to the other hip. <laughs> this is crazy. I have one hip that projects out a little bit further than another because the ball in the socket, according to an x-ray, the ball is a little flatter on the one side. I don't know where you guys are. I don't know what you struggle with when it comes to comparison, but maybe you can relate with me, or maybe you're sitting out there like, this girl should not be speaking because she struggles too deeply. And that's okay. Just being real. And I love what Risen Motherhood has to say. Risen Motherhood is a, a podcast that I follow. It's a mom's ministry. And they said that women, as women, we have a roaming eye. We are constantly looking around, comparing ourselves to other people. How do we measure up? And then you throw social media on top of that, and it's like we don't even have to go in the physical world and have this physical roaming eye. 
with the click of a finger or the scroll of our index finger, we are in comparison city without even knowing it. It becomes an addiction. And I know I was talking to some women this past week, and they were saying, oh, comparison's so bad these days. I mean, social media, that's what does it. And I would beg to differ. I don't think it's just social media. I think that this comparison thing has been around since the Garden of Eden. I think it started when Adam and Eve fell and they first sinned. And we are just bent towards sin. We are just bent towards brokenness. We want what we don't have. We're striving for perfection, and it's never going to happen. We're just sinful. If you don't believe that we're sinners, I can just show you little children, kids that don't have social media. I can show you my girls. I gave them nuggets the other day. And one's over there counting how many nuggets her sister has and how many nuggets she has. She's comparing. It just comes so naturally. And, you know, this roaming eye thing, this fallen nature that we have, I really believe that the enemy of our souls, the devil, is like the king of this. I really feel that he is in charge of this. He wants to set a trap before us so that if we can get caught in that comparison trap, whether it's on Facebook where we're comparing ourselves to the highlight reel that everybody else is putting forward, that MVP moment, the best moments in their life, and that's what we're comparing our lives to, I think he's behind that. I think he wants to lure us into this trap And I think before we can even talk about how do we overcome comparison, I think we need to break down and figure out what comparison even is and figure out what is happening in this comparison trap. Because when we can get to the bottom of this and unearth it, I think that's when true freedom can take place and we can be on the road to overcoming comparison. So I love what Andy Stanley has to say. Andy Stanley is a great pastor, preacher. His dad was Charles Stanley, is Charles Stanley. He says, comparison is determining where I am based on where everyone else is. I'll read that again. Comparison is determining where I am based on where everyone else is. So this is what I really believe is happening in the comparison trap. I have a stool out here. And I I feel like the the trap that is set before us, if we could see what was going on, I think it would look a lot like this. So I think when we go into any social gathering, sporting event, church, your work, wherever it is that you have a tendency to compare, which is pretty much everywhere, or maybe it's social media, this is what happens. You walk in, and maybe, um, maybe what you struggle with when it comes to comparison is your body. And you size yourself up to the other women at this social gathering, or you walk in their house, and maybe you feel like your house looks a lot better than this house, and you've worked really hard on your body, and you've worked really hard on your skin and your hair and your clothes, and that's really important to you. Or you bring your husband in, and he's like the best husband ever. He always puts his arm around you in church. He says kind things to you. He does what you want. It's just you have the best marriage. It's like you stand up here, and you're, you're sucked right in the comparison trap, and you're puffed up. And you feel like you have what everybody else wants. And you're just kind of looking down at everybody else, and you're full of pride in yourself. And you're just feeding that, and you're just kind of puffed up and inflated. And that's where you're sucked in in the comparison trap, because you are measuring yourself around the people to the people around you, and you feel better than them, and you're looking down at them. Or you come into the comparison trap, 
and you come up on the scene, maybe you're at a sporting event, your kid is not the best one out there, he's on the bench, and you have like Susie's son who's going into the NBA in the third grade, and your child is just terrible, or you come in and Susie's pants and jeans just look so on point and you can hardly button your pants, or you just feel like they have what you don't have. They have all the material possessions that you don't have. They make more than you make. They seem more important and have a higher status than you. It's like you are down here looking at the pedestal with the people above you that just look like they have everything that you so long for. And you're looking up at them with jealousy and envy. And that leads to maybe even some hatred. See, because when we get caught in the comparison trap, the comparison itself leads to greater sins, either pride up here or it leads to insecurities, jealousy, struggle, strain. And you know what, ladies? Some of us walk in a situation and there's that one woman or that one person that you just can't stand. And the bottom line, it's it could be because of jealousy, because you're down here in the comparison trap looking up at what they have and wanting what they have. And when I look at Scripture, I think of two specific stories or two specific passages that really lay this out for us when it comes to the comparison trap. I look at who's up here. Are you guys worried that I'm going to fall off this stool? My husband stood on a ladder once for a sermon, and no one was more nervous than I was, and he survived, and I hope so too. Okay, so the scripture that comes to my mind when I think of this pride this arrogance that takes place in this comparison trap, are this passage about the Pharisees. See, I want to explain the Pharisees. The Pharisees were people of the New Testament, especially during Jesus' day. They were a group of Jews, a small group of Jews, that were middle class, mostly businessmen. They were the religious people. They followed the law, which is the Old Testament of the Bible. The law would be the law that Moses gave to the Israelite people, God's chosen people. They followed that law meticulously. But they also followed some man-made rules that they kind of added to the law. They created traditions that they treated just as important as the law. So things like hand washing so that they would be ceremonially clean before they go into the temple. They would have like ritualistic ways to wash their hands. They'd have to do it in such a way that the water would drape down here. I mean, it was to the T. They thought they were above everybody when it came to being religious. And then Jesus comes on the scene. I love the Gospels. I'm going through the Gospels. I've been through some of the Gospels with some of my Bible studies, and I'm just so enlightened to who the Pharisees were and how Jesus felt about them. Take a look at this passage. Luke 18, 9 through 12. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So Jesus is on the scene, and this is what he says. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. So I'm the Pharisee. I'm in the comparison trap right now. I'm looking down on everybody else because I'm more religious. I do more of the rules. I follow this more closely than everyone else does. And this is what one of the Pharisees says. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like all the other people, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. 
Can we not see like an inflated, puffed up, arrogant, prideful person right here? Whether that is us in our walk with the Lord, because it can be. We can become accidental Pharisees in our own walk with the Lord. Or maybe it's not even in our walk with the Lord or our church attendance or what we think spiritually. Maybe it's just that we're puffed up in our life and we just think we're better than everybody else. Do you accidentally become a Pharisee? Or let's come down here. And the scripture that I think the story that illuminates this part of the comparison trap would be King Saul and David. King Saul was a king of the Israelite people, the small group of people. He was trying to keep them in line. King Saul loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. He started off really well, but then he made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision to the point that God removed his spirit from him. And Saul kind of went crazy. He would have these like, these crazy attacks where he couldn't even get it under control. And so there was this little boy named David who was a harpist. I'm thinking of the little children's song, Little David, Play on Your Harp. I'm thinking of little David with David and Goliath. They would bring David, little David, in to play his harp for King Saul to kind of try to calm him down. And it worked. Well, King Saul was the king of the Israelites, and he was always at battle with their arch enemies, the Philistines. So the Philistines had big Goliath. We've heard this story. David comes along, and he's like, I can take on Goliath. He's huge. David's a little shepherd boy who plays a harp. David's like, my brothers are at war against the Philistines. I can take this guy. So they're pretty desperate. They take him. He takes his slingshot and throws his stone up, kills Goliath. Goliath goes down. Saul loves David at first. He wants to take him everywhere. But look at this passage. David went everywhere that Saul sent him and did well. Saul had him lead the men of war, and it was pleasing to all the people and to Saul's servants. When David returned from killing the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, playing songs of joy and trembles. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry. This saying did not please him. He said, they have given David honor for ten thousands, but for me only thousands. Now what more can he be, can he have but to be king? And Saul was jealous and did not trust David from that point on. King Saul was down here. His focus was not on the Lord. His focus was on David. David looked like he was superior to King Saul. So to the point that King Saul is looking up at David, wanting what he has, he's so jealous because he's made it about himself and gaining all the praise that he seeks to kill little David, who became big David, for the rest of his life. David was on, was on the loose trying to get away from King Saul until King Saul just ends up killing himself. That's the road that jealousy and envy can take us on. But see, I think when we take a step back and look at this comparison trap, everybody that I see either gets puffed up or gets deflated, insecure, jealous, and wants what the people have that they're staring up at in envy. And I think the whole focus is wrong. The focus when you're in the comparison trap is on me and how I compare to other people, how I measure up, or it's on other people and wanting to be 
what they are or have what they have. And this is my challenge to you guys. You've probably heard of a woman named Lisa Turkers. She's a great writer. She's a great speaker. She loves Jesus and has been through a ton. She challenges people to steer your stare. And I'm suggesting that the way to break free from the comparison trap to walk past the comparison trap or get out of the comparison trap is to steer your stare to the cross. It sounds easy, but it's not. It's a conscious effort. When we steer our stare towards the cross, we will stand before God and see that in comparison to God, we simply do not measure up. We need a Savior to die on the cross for our sins. Sins like comparison, sins like pride, envy, jealousy. We know that according to God's word, he says this, Proverbs 8, 13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. God hates pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. It's when we're at the cross that we say, God, I need out of the comparison trap. I am sincerely sorry that where I've come from in the comparison trap is on the level of the pedestal where I am full of pride and I confess that to you. Or we're down lower in the comparison trap and at the foot of the cross when we steer our stare there, we realize that that's where we need to put to death the old man, the old woman that looks in up enviously at everybody else. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. To covet, it says, do not covet. It's part of the Ten Commandments. Do not covet. Covet is wanting the possessions or what somebody else has. You look at them and want what they have, and it becomes so important to you that it becomes your God, which means then you're committing adultery on the real God. That's idolatry. So we need to steer our stare towards the cross so that we can stand at the foot of the cross and realize that woman that I constantly compare myself to, the material possessions that all these other people have that I don't have, the family that they have, when we're at the foot of the cross, we can realize that we are all equal at the foot of the cross. We're naked before the Lord. He doesn't look at the things man looks at. He looks at the heart. And you cannot take with you to heaven what you see around you and long for. We are broken sinners in need of a savior. And when we steer our stare towards the cross, we can say this. The other part of the parable that Jesus talked about when he was talking about the Pharisees and how they looked down on everybody else and thought they had the upper hand on everybody. He says there was somebody else in the parable that he's going to talk about, that tax collector who the Pharisee compared himself to. The Pharisee says this at the foot of the cross. I see, the, or the tax collector says this at the foot of the cross. I see him over here, out of the comparison trap. I see him here saying, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This guy took himself out of the comparison trap. I believe that he was probably there at some point. Tax collectors were hated people of that time. They were cheaters. They were scammers. They took more money than people owed them. But he humbled himself. He brought himself. He, 
he steered his stare towards the cross and he humbled himself at the cross and he would be the one justified. He would be the one lifted up before the Father because of the disposition of his heart. I really believe we need to steer our stare towards eternal things at the cross. I love this scripture. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This scripture convicts me every time I read it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. If your treasure is over here in all earthly things, all things that are not gonna make a difference in the big picture of God's kingdom, material possessions, how you look, status, how important you are, that does not matter at the foot of the cross. That does not get you into heaven. If that's where your treasure is, you're gonna stay in the comparison trap for your entire life, myself included, and I've lived there too long. If your heart is over here, if your desire is truly for Jesus, your desire will be over here and you'll step away from the comparison trap and you'll focus on eternal things. If I go into that sporting event and my child is still picking splinters out of his backside from the bench, does it really matter? No, his heart matters. That's the eternal difference. My relationship with him, not how I look on this earth, not how I look compared to other people. It's over here that we remember it's about eternity and what matters most. We also need to steer our stare towards the creator. So many of us struggle with our bodies, right? If we all raised our hands, I'm sure it would be every one of us. We need to remember that how we were created was just right. God created my inmost being. He knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise him because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Can we really say that with honest sincerity? It is so hard. But when we look to the cross and we realize, God, you know what? When I'm knocking my body and when I'm critiquing this hip to that hip, I'm actually critiquing you, Lord, because you created me. Instead, we need to do what my friend says. When I've struggled with body image, when I've struggled with comparing myself to other people, she'll say, straighten your crown. You're a child of the king. And you are a child of the king. You can straighten your crown. You can walk with more confidence because you are known and loved and created by the king of the universe. He knows you. He loves you. And his gifts that he has given you are specific to you. I love what 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6 says. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. God has gifted me differently than he's gifted you. And if we are too busy looking at the gifts of other people and wishing we just had what they had, then we forget to thank God for the gifts that he's given us. We're uniquely made, our body's uniquely made, and the way he crafted us with our gifts is unique. You know, there are lots of great godly women that I could easily compare myself to. I think of my friend Renee. Renee's the faith and fitness woman, the one who can get up on stage with complete confidence and bang two drumsticks together to really loud music and yell to the DJ, turn it up, and she can just get down up here. She's a great speaker. 
She has more guts than I do. I work out in my basement. I don't want people to see me. She's like letting everybody, she's shaking it, she's doing salsa, she's doing all of that. And I can, I can stand in the background and look at her one of two ways. I can look at her and say, wow, she looks awesome doing that. She speaks with poise. She looks great in that jean jacket. Her hair is beautiful. She speaks better than me. She has the guts to do cardio fitness that I don't have. I'm too insecure about that, and I work out in my basement. And I could easily feel like Renee is a threat to me. But you know what that does? That throws me right back in the comparison trap. That makes her look like a threat to me, and all it does is point the finger at me. The focus is on me. It's not on God. It's on me and how I compare to other people. Instead, I can look at it like this. Renee is amazing. She has gifts that I do not have. She was equipped by God and called by God to do cardio fitness in, the, in other classes that I don't have the guts to do. She's amazing, and I love her. I really do. I love her. And if the enemy tries to get in there, because he does it to all of us, and say, oh, man, why don't you do that? Or she's got more people there. Then I'm just like, not today. Okay, you punk, Satan, I'm on to you. I'm going to steer my stare towards the cross because you have gifted me different than you have gifted Renee. And together we have the same goal. We want to lead women to Jesus Christ. But if we are constantly competing, we do this with churches. That's why, that's why there's so much division in the church. My church compared to your church. I take communion once a month. You take it every day, every hour of the day. You pray every day. I don't pray. I pray once a, a week or once a month. Let's just get rid of all of that and realize that we are, we are on the same team. We have different callings, different gifts. We have, God has different plans for our lives. When we steer our stare, we realize that my plan, God's plan for my life is different than God's plan for my friend Renee's life. For I know the plans I have for you. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. When you want to compare your husband to everybody else's husband, when you want to compare your marriage to everybody else's marriage, you can continue to steer your stare and compare to everybody else in the comparison trap, or you can steer your stare towards Jesus and say, Lord, I know you can work a miracle in my marriage. I know you can work a miracle in my family. You have a plan for my life. You're going to give me hope for my future, and I trust you. I'm going to stare at you and watch what you can do in my life. And finally, I want to say that when we steer our stare, I would encourage you to fix your focus. Like we can, every time, steer your stare towards the cross. Steer your stare towards the creator. Steer your stare towards God who has given you the blessings instead of looking at the blessings of other people. Fix your focus once you steer that stare on Jesus. Fix your focus. It's like a horse. Have you ever seen those blinders on horses? There's a purpose for that because the horses are going to be looking everywhere else. They're trying to fix the horse's focus straight ahead to stay on course. Sometimes I think we need those blinders. Or it's like a camera lens. I had a grandma once who would like hold the camera up and not even look into the lens and just snap photos. 
and it was a lot of focus, and there was probably a lot of other people in the camera. We need to rein that focus in. Steer your stare and fix your focus on Christ because I love this verse. It is like my favorite verse of all time. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. You will stay in chaos over here in the comparison trap. Your heart will be crowded. You will be off focus. But if you steer your stare and fix your focus, he will keep you in perfect peace. And what it has taken in my life in recent months, in recent weeks, especially leading up to this message, I found myself off center comparing myself to other people. And I realized at a Bible study when one of my friends said to me, girl, you need to get off Facebook. And I was like, how? She's right. I realized that what was happening is I was aimlessly scrolling on Facebook. And that was such a temptation for me to compare that person to that person or that event to that event. It was so easy for me. I was staring at Facebook instead of taking that time to intentionally steer my stare towards the Father. And so what I have done is what I often do. I do a Facebook detox or social media detox. Facebook just happens to be the only one that I do. And I, I choose to only check my notifications. So I don't really bury my head in the sand where I don't know when anybody's birthday is or anything that's going on. And I will check notifications and the first Facebook post that pops up. And then that's it. And I can't tell you how much that has helped me fix my focus on Christ. And I have a whole lot more peace. What does it take for you? I want us to be reflective, and I want to ask you, what is it going to take for you to steer your stare? Maybe for you, you need a social media detox. Maybe you need to take a fast. My husband fasts from Facebook all the time. And then he'll get back on to post something, and he tells me the same thing every time. Ugh, Facebook is so bad for me. I, I deleted the app. I'm done with it again. So he's like, he's hot and cold, like, nope, not doing it. It's too much of a temptation. Maybe for you, what you need to do is you need to get an index card and write, fix your focus or steer your stare and put it in your back pocket or put it on your windows at home or put it on your mirror in your bathroom so that every time you go in there, you're constantly reminded. Or maybe you put a scripture on a piece of paper and put it in your back pocket and you walk into that social setting and you're tempted to compare, and you kind of just feel that in your back pocket, or you pull it out when you're going to the bathroom, and that's your reminder. Steer my stare. Fix my focus. Maybe you need to keep a gratitude journal so that you can focus on the blessings God's given you in your life instead of looking at the blessings that he's given everybody else. And then you'll be so much more satisfied and content with your own life. Or maybe you're kind of slow on the uptake like me, and you just need something super practical where you physically need to take your fingers and put it on your chin and steer your stare every time you feel like that. Or maybe it's not so obvious like, you know, you're ready to look at that girl that you want to compare yourself to all the time and you're just like, maybe you just need to do it with your hands. Like, you know, move your hand over to this way. Steer, steer your stare. Fix your focus. What it is that, what is it that you need to do? We're going to listen to a song and on a sheet of paper that you were given when you came in here tonight, there are some reflective questions. I love this Lauren Daigle song, Turn Your Eyes. It's an old song that she gives a great beat to. If you listen to the words, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light 
of his mercy and grace. And I think that when we really ask these questions, we can let God penetrate our hearts and um, true change can take place. So we're going to play that song. I'll close this in prayer, but just take a few minutes to ask God how to work you through these questions.